Good evening and welcome to another episode of Nigeria Politics Weekly. I must first of all apologize. We're supposed to record on Sunday, but we're doing it on Wednesday instead. It's because I was traveling. I was in Turkey uh, at a 40th birthday party, but that's another story. And obviously, I'm co-hosting with Phoenix, as usual. Phoenix in travel is, is where he is. We have two guests. Our first guest is Dr. Nasir Aminu. Dr. Aminu is a university lecturer and member of the PDP, the People's Democratic Party. Our second guest is Ilemona Onodja. Ilemona is also a member of the People's Democratic Party. Now, today we're discussing two key topics. The first is the flooding that seems to have engulfed a significant part of Nigeria. Lives have been lost, a number of people are homeless, or millions are homeless, and we'll be discussing its root causes and the government's response. And then secondly, we'll be discussing the various candidates, that's Peter Obi, Bola Ahmed Tinubu, and Atiku Abubakar. We'll be discussing their statements or the, the presentations they made to the Arewa Joint Committee. The Arewa Joint Committee represents all the northern political interest groups, and they were sort of interviewing the various candidates to see who would be the best to be uh, there, who get their support for the presidential elections in 2023. So firstly, to Phoenix, a flood appears to be engulfing a significant part of the nation. Can you explain to us where where has this water come from and why does it seem to be uh, a, a big, does it seem, why does it seem to occupy a bigger part of the news than it should, Phoenix? Hi, Michael. Um, I hear you're suffering from jet lag after going for plenty of enjoyment. So this one that uh, you're making us move podcast to midweek. I'm sure the listeners will make sure you hear you hear from them. Um, thanks, uh, Lemona and, and uh, Nasir for joining us uh, this week. Hello, listeners. I think for me, I mean, I mean, uh, jokes aside, is to start on a somber note. I mean, we have lost people to this. Um, what is quite clearly um, uh, an overwhelming disaster by by all accounts. And uh, may, may, may the souls of those we've lost rest in peace. I think what upsets me more is um, why we can say there are natural causes. Uh, Sorry, to finish, your volume seems to have gone low. Can you hear me? Oh, yes, we hear you now. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I was saying, I mean, while while there's there are pointers to natural causes, there's also the the the, point, the fact that part of it and a significant part of it in my view is down to a failure of leadership um, and, I'll, and we'll speak about that I'm sure as as we delve into this topic but but first I mean to just you know my condolences to those uh, who've lost loved ones so far um, if we speak to the causes I think it's it's a combination of you know things a number of things coming together. To, to give us this really sad, sad uh, occurrence. There is the, the fact that, um, we, I, mean, we've, we, I mean, we've had heavy rainfall. We've seen 
um, dams and reservoirs overflow. And typically when that happens, the dams are opened. Now what has happened is the combination of those events have led to heavy flooding, which, which we've seen in the past, but not to this degree. And the impact has then seen uh, a, a significant part of Nigeria, I mean, 27 states and counting as of, as of the last uh, news report that I read, impacted by heavy flooding, which is a combination of, of those factors. Um, and that leads me to my point around leadership and because some of these things, I mean, can, could have been avoided if the right infrastructure was put in place to plan around the fact that yes, dams need to be open when they're overflowed, but you can also have dams to counter the effect and channel the water to certain areas and not create the scenario that we've seen where huge swaths of land have been uh, submerged underwater, communities devastated, um, people stranded um, and, and, and all of that. And, you know, even the secondary effects with, with, with lots of farmlands, uh, you know, uh, swept, I mean, with water and which, which inevitably will lead to food shortages and, and high inflation in a country that already has a significant majority in poverty and, 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 and high food inflation. As of the last uh, data that we just got recently, from the Nigerian Bureau of Statistics is telling us that we have 23% food inflation, uh, you know, 21% general inflation uh, data coming up. So it's like we're just walking from a, a bad situation into a worse situation and, and every day is just taking us closer and closer to a very you know, difficult place. And you look to the response from, from the government of the day and for a long time, it was non-existent. Uh, almost like you had to again prod the president to speak to it. You know, see see what actions are being taken and, and all of that. But again, I mean, it, it, we 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 see a a clear um, link to climate change. We also see a clear link to um, leadership failure in not preparing for this. I mean, of course, we, we see Nema saying they were warning, but you, you don't warn when something is about to happen. You prepare for it. People people put in place infrastructure and put in place plans for things such as this, but this is Nigeria, um, and the leaders have filled our people and, and, and we've lost people and lost uh, a significant harvest and all those kind of things um, to that effect. Quite sad. Thank you, Phoenix. Ilemona, you've heard what Phoenix has said. He says, in his view, parts of the problem have been caused by climate change. The others have been failure of planning by the government. And thirdly, it appears there is some sort of a dam release that seems to take place every year that causes these floods. Now, Ilemona, can you explain to me what Buhari is doing? Why does it seem as if, even if NEMA, NEMA, the Nigerian, I think it's the Emergency Management Agency, they claim they gave warnings, but should that not have been 
a warning given to Buhari to do something. So, so where is he, Ilemona? What is he doing? The short answer to the question is that, as always, he's doing nothing. Um, his government is has been one that has been remarkably um, marked by um, its insensitivity, by its incompetence, by its sheer lack of capacity. The truth being that this flooding and the absence of a coherent, um, concise, well-structured response is just indicative of how Buhari's government has always been. We have seen, just like with the flooding, other situations where there were early warning signs, there was um, a request or there were appeals from the Nigerian people that things should have been done speedily to stave off these um, the possible negative fallouts of those even incidents and occurrences. And <clears throat> we have seen repeatedly him fail to do anything or his government failed to do anything to stave that off and then only begin to give us a weak, a disconnected, disjointed, ridiculous attempt at resolving crisis. At all times, most of the crisis that the Buhari government has faced could have been avoided even during the course of the Buhari government. And somehow or the other, they have just failed, refused and or neglected to do right by the Nigerian people. There's nothing here that hasn't happened with the Buhari government on several other economic, security, health, education, you know, general politicking and all that. There's nothing here that hasn't happened with their government, with this government previously. Absolutely nothing. So when you ask where is Buhari, my answer is exactly where he's always been. There, but refusing to do anything. It, it is just a, a remarkable indication of how insensitive. And to be honest, in this situation, the problems aren't, well, there's not so much that we could have done about the natural disaster. It was going to happen, heightened amounts of rainfall, owing to the, you know, climate, um, owing to cha changes in the climate. But we could have controlled our natural, national emergency response protocol. Our government simply refused to do so. We could have responded quicker. I mean, NIMET had been giving warnings that there were going to be significant amounts of rainfall and that there was the possibility of flooding. We didn't have an organized attempt to evacuate people from the lowlands and from the um, basins around the riverbeds. We didn't have organization in that. We, everybody and their dog knows that as a result of the loss of hundreds of thousands of acres of harvest, hectares of harvest, hundreds and thousands, hundreds of thousands of hectares of harvest have been lost. Everybody foresees a food shortage. The Buari government hasn't started anything 
that is geared towards sourcing food from alternative sources so that we can stave off the potent, the incoming food crisis. Nothing. We've, we have military that can help engage in evacuation. We've got the Navy that can help en engage in evacuation. And while there have been, in my home state of Kogi, yes, there's, the, the military has actually indeed helped organize some evacuation. It could be happening on a significantly larger scale. But here we are, almost 2 million people displaced, more than 600 um, people dead, nothing. Not even so much as a keep of sensitivity from our president to speak to people directly and say, I see your pain, I share your pain, absolutely nothing. It is this flooding, if Nigerians were ever looking for any analogy to aptly describe the disaster and the failure that is the Buhari administration, this flooding is that analogy. It is that, um, what's the grammatical expression now? It is that metaphor, yeah. It is the metaphor that we need to describe how badly let down this government has, has let us down. And we can't wait to see the back of the government so that we can, at least at the elections next year, get it right, elect a, a, a responsive, responsible um, president with capacity, and then move to ensure that these sorts of things don't happen to our people again. Thank you, Ilemona. But I must ask a follow-up question to you. The statement from the Nigerian government says they also warned state governors about the impending floods. Now, one of the states that was flooded is River State, whose governor happens to be a member of your party, the PDP. The governor of River State was a, appeared on TV dancing, one of those his numerous uh, Michael Jackson-esque dance steps. He was in Lagos donating 300 million naira to the uh, Wives Association of Lagos State. Meanwhile, his state was flooded. So whilst your party is criticizing the federal government, should your party not also be taking responsibility for what its governors have failed to do? Ilemona? There are a number of issues. One, a disaster on this level, a disaster on this level has to first and foremost see an organized federal government response. There are as many as 20, what, 27 states that have vast amounts of land submerged. This is not a state government issue. It's a federal government issue, first and foremost. You cannot have disaster on that level and be looking at the states. It's not the states. At that point, what you need to see is organized, an organized national emergency protocol initiated by the federal government into which states plug. In the, even two things on this issue before I move to the next one, is one, given the control of resources, control of most of the institutions that you can use to respond and, and, and the sheer lack of funding that a lot of the states have, this was always going to, is something that the federal government has to lead, first of all. Secondly, um, you raise the issue of, of um, the river state governor in Lagos. Um, quite a number of people, even within my party, uh, have been dissatisfied that he was in Lagos at all. 
and believe that he could have done you know more with the donation but before we go to that he, he before he left rivers from lagos he had done a donation of of more than um, he had done a donation of one billion to purchase release materials for distribution. Um, so, sorry, sorry to interrupt IT you. Camps. Sorry to interrupt you, Lebanon. Yes, please. I'm sure you agree that even one billion is not enough to solve the problem in River State, the the devastation from the flooding. And which if you agree, which is why I was saying, yeah, so, I was... so if you agree, one billion is not enough. Then the fact that he's decided to donate three hundred million to Lagos State Government does that not concern you? Elemona, are you still there? Elemona? No. I think we've lost Elemona. So let me come to you, Dr. Aminu, because you're also a member of the uh, party. Dr. Aminu, the question I was going to put to Elemona is what I put to you. Your party member, governor of River State, his own state was flooded, but somehow he found himself in Lagos and was donating money to an association of wives in Lagos State. Is that the, is that the most judicious use of state resources at a time of, of, a, of a national crisis, uh, Dr. Aminu? Good evening, uh, uh, Mike, and thank you for having me here. Uh, uh, thank you, Phoenix, as well. Um, no, it is not. And um, but uh, the shenanigans. Sorry, I, I, I had a call coming. Um, so, sorry, I had a, an interruption on my Zoom. Can I quickly just finish that answer? I apologize. Oh, sorry. No, I've, I've gone to Dr. Amido, so I'll come back to you, uh, Elemana, when I finish with Dr. Okay. Amido. Okay. Yeah. Um, so um, we all know um, what Wiki has been doing and uh, his anti party activities. First of all, Wikia is not even supposed to be in Lagos uh, donating money, you know, um, praising the Lagos state governor who happens to be an opposition. Uh, these are all anti-party activities and uh, we all know the crisis um, he has been creating in, in Nigeria with PDP and, uh, you know, romancing with um, the opposition party members, you know, um, especially Tinubu who told him to go and become a senator, uh, which he refused, he confessed on TV. So these things are complete, uh, I wouldn't, it, it, is not, um, it is not good in the picture of a governor to see this happening. Even, uh, I mean, this is a humanitarian crisis and the governor should be at the forefront, you know, standing in front of his people, making sure these people are doing right. But um, it tells you a lot about uh, the character of this person, not just because of a party, uh, a, uh, his party affiliation, but because um, uh, the kind of person he is. Um, when we begin to think about it, I don't think I'm going to trivialize this to become a party issue. This is a humanitarian issue, and Wiki shouldn't have gone to Lagos, you know, to be thinking about politics. But he should be thinking about his own people that have been displaced. He was employed to serve these people, you know. What he could have done, you know, instead of donating those hundreds of millions of naira to um, women in Lagos. His people needed better, you know. He could have, you know, just cancelled that one and tell them that there's a better, um, more, um, uh, um, I mean, um, an emergency in, in his state. So um, I'm disappointed in Wiki, but I mean, 
uh, we all know what Wiki uh, is doing and uh, how low he has taken himself to. And um, I do not want to associate with people like that. So um, it's a complete embarrassment. I yield the mic. Sorry. Thank you, Dr. Amino. I'm going to go to Ilemona before I come back to Phoenix. So Ilemona, Amino yes, has, sort of has tried to answer the question I was asking you, but what is your party doing, the PDP? I haven't, to the best of my knowledge, seen any press statement from them seriously criticizing the government on, on, on this issue. And, and, and I know you're saying Wike is not uh, fully a member of your party, but what, what steps has the PDP done, taken to put pressure on Buhari and his government on this matter? Um, the PDP presidential candidate, Elijah Tukwab Bakar, has released two press statements on this issue. I think one was but, 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 but where, where is Atiku? That's the other question, because there's speculation that he's not even in the country. So where? So yes. So in addition to my other question, where, where is he at this key uh, critical point in in, in Nigeria's uh, history? Okay. So first, first things first. Um, Elijah Atiku Abaka has released two press statements on the issue. One, I think, was on the 27th of September, before anybody else did, um, when, uh, when he spoke about it from the context of climate change and that the need to implement policy that begins, that you know, protects, better protects the environment and then provides us a natural buffer you know, against incidents such as, as, as disasters such as this. Then there was the other one that took it from the very prism of the flooding itself. I think that was on the 7th of October, where he um, called on the government and said, you need to um, do better to, uh, to ameliorate the suffering of the victims. You need to um, strengthen the national, the institutions that are responsible for our disaster protocols and all that. Um, in addition, he's contributed food and relief materials to certain states um, across the uh, certain states across the country. Um, the vice presidential uh, candidate of the PDP, Dr. Efrain Okua, has also been going around communities in Delta State where he's governor and relating with the people, um, leading spearheading the efforts to distribute relief materials and bring immediate relief and succor to victims of the flooding. These two, the, those are the two things that I can say that are going on. From a party perspective, I know that and within the party, there's an ongoing um, effort to raise awareness and then to raise funding to provide relief to victims of the flooding across the country. I know that that is ongoing within the party. Now, to answer your second question, where's Elijah Tikwabaka? Um, um, just a few days ago, he was in Kaduna um, for the rally, uh, well, for an interactive process that took, um, what, three days from Saturday through to Monday. Um, on Tuesday, he left and was, oh no, on Monday evening, I think, well, sometime he left the country, went for some consultative meetings in, the, in France, where he also met with, you know, certain members of the Nigerian community, met with, um, you know, foreign media, and then he's due back in the country soon. I know that we have the, the what do they call it? We have a rally in Edo at the weekend. He should be back in the country in time 
for that rally to continue, the rally and then the engagement in Edo at the weekend. So that's where he is at the moment. Of course, he's keeping tabs what's going on in the campaign, touching base with um, leaders of the party and other stakeholders and ensuring that, you know, we're ticking over nicely and flowing smoothly. He's commiserated with the people who are victims of the flooding and as much as possible is trying to contribute towards the provision of relief efforts and showing people how, you know, under a PDP government, if the PDP is elected next year, the approach to any unfortunate disaster such as this would be significantly different. Thank you, Lemona. Let me come to Phoenix. Phoenix, first question, are you satisfied with Lemona and Dr. Aminu's response that Atiku is out of the country consulting with his, his allies and has issued a statement, but is not around at this critical period? Is, is that something you're satisfied with? And then my second question is, what are the economic implications of this uh, flooding? Because as far as we are aware, the border closure policy is still in place, so certain food items are still banned from being imported into Nigeria. So what, what does that mean for our economy that we're now experiencing this flood? So it's a two-part question, Felix. I hope you've, uh, you can remember them. I'll, I'll try. I'll try. I think... I think um... I think we're in that period in the campaign where it makes sense for all the um, candidates to be in the country, engaging with the people who can vote for them. We do know that, uh, I mean, we do, it's not like we have diaspora voting. And with, uh, what are we now? We're midway through October. Uh, elections happen in February. So essentially we're three months if my math is right, maybe around, let's say about four months away, I would expect all the candidates to be here. Now, am I satisfied? I don't think it's a question of whether I'm satisfied or not. I just think it's a, I think it's odd to still find candidates leaving the country this late in the game. Um, but if you have put out a statement and that's how they intend to run their campaign, let's see how successful they are. In my view, they should be all the candidates should be moving around the country. But especially at a time like this, where we have such a significant disaster, there's nothing better than for the people to see you among them, see you empathizing, I mean, see that you're, you're able to, you know, show up. And so, I mean, whatever strategy they're following, I mean, I, 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 I just keep my powder dry and wait to see how it all pans out. I think to the second point you raised, and again, it goes back to one of the points I had made in, in my earlier opening, um, we should expect significant uh, economic headwinds as a result of this. I mean, anyone who looks at our GDP data and, and follows our economic data knows that agriculture plays a significant part of the makeup of our economic activity in Nigeria. Um, not as much as it should, but to, to a significant degree. We also know that, I mean, um, um, farming and, and things like that, you know, employ a significant part of the population. But I mean, with the challenges that we're seeing, I mean, Ilemona also mentioned the hectares of land that have been swept away. 
we've all we've had challenges of late, so let's not downplay that with insecurity and all of that. But this disaster, this flooding that we're seeing, sweeping across the food belt of Nigeria. If you look at the places that are most impacted, um, you know that's. I mean, those are areas where I mean most of the food in this country come from, and so we can expect, as I said earlier. Um, significant food shortages, uh, which would, of course, uh, exacerbate uh, the food high food inflation that we already see, the knock-on effect on several other uh, parts of, of, of the economy. Um, think about the Nigerian LNG that has uh, declared a force majeure. That is a significant impact on the earning capability of the of the country itself, which is already impaired, we already know that we don't make enough money to cover um, even the debt service that we do, and that's why we keep borrowing um, to make up the numbers. So when you start adding up all of this stuff, um, uh, and the fact that there's going to be significant recovery, significant disaster management efforts that would lead to more spending. Um, there are going to be people who can't work because they simply cannot access their places of work, not just farmlands, but we've seen roads, um, you know, in, in uh, you know, totally submerged. There, there is there is significant um, 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 economic um, challenges that we will that we will face over the next few months, and the question now is how is the government foreseeing this? and understanding what levers to use to address it. The first thing is, how do you secure lives? How do you make sure that people have the care and support that they need? That people have the access to the basic necessities, shelter, food, um, healthcare. Um, how do you make sure that happens? How do you then make sure that you can cover up for the loss of economic activity? So. In my view, I mean, if this is not well managed, we're on, a, we're on the path to, to another recession very quickly. Because if 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 the, the the ripple effect of all of this, you know, becomes exacerbated, and we expect the flooding, according to uh, the reports that I heard from experts, that this is expected to co continue for another month or so, that that means the rest of this year is already gone. Then you know you start a new year very slow. And the impact can 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 only be you know expected to be really um, negative for the country. So it's time for the government to stand up to its responsibility and to make sure that they they really tackle this. It's not about telling you you want anybody. This is a major issue for the entire country. Thank you, Phoenix. Hopefully the can I just quickly chip in something? Please. Oh, yes, please, Eleven. Two minutes. Um, the, the PDP presidential candidate, Elijah, has been in the country, has been engaging. He will continue to engage. It is the nature of campaigns such that you have to remember, I mean, you engage locally and inter internationally with people who can help you with the, win the election. He's gone abroad a very short time away. We'll be back before the end of the week. Wait, maybe three days. He's engaging. There will be another engagement. There was, a, there was an engagement at the beginning of the week, you know, that included rallies, town hall meetings, meetings with support groups, 
meeting with the Arewa um, Joint Committee, that whole interview, yeah, that was engagement. There's another engagement just a few short days after, in between those two, a quick trip abroad. I mean, I'm going to be political on this score. Only a few days ago, the Labour Party candidate was in the US, was in Dallas, where it was conferred with the honorary degree. And he finished that and came back. So if we're going to be looking at that equal funny, that means that there's justifiable basis to look at the Labour Party candidate funny. And I, I don't know that they, well, I, I'm not one of the people who was critical of his US trip, of the, the US trip of Labour Party candidates. I'm not going to be critical. You know, go do what you need to do. Come back to Nigerian people, continue engagement. It's really that simple. It is the, um, what do they call him? It? it is the APC candidate who is absent and who is not engaging on a policy level or giving you know, clear-cut policy direction or whatever little direction he gives being, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Being scary and raising all sorts of alarm systems that I particularly worry about. Otherwise, I think Bakas engaging, engaging fully, engaging repeatedly. Now, from an economic point of view, the, the, the effects are devastating. Here we are in Abuja, for instance, and we have, we're in Abuja, for instance, we have um, fuel scarcity because tankers that are bringing fuel from Lagos or from the South simply are finding it difficult to access Northern Nigeria. And it is just indicative of how much, how, fragile the Nigerian economic ecosystem is, that that thing, and then suddenly there's no infrastructure elsewhere that connects north and south, or the infrastructure is you know, um, not as good as it should be. And so here we are spending hours in fuel scarcity. It is particularly disturbing that at this time, the government has not been. And I mean, it's close border policies were ridiculous in the first place. But to insist that it is going to keep a closed border policy in the face of an economic downturn such as this, or a natural disaster such as this, that is definitely going to have economic side effects, then uh, that's, that's, just, that's just ridiculous. Thank you, Ilemona. And I'll allow the listeners reach their own uh, conclusions. But to our second topic, um, I think we'll touch on this climate change issue because it, it did come up, is the, the presidential candidates from the All Progressives Congress, the People's Democratic Party and the Labour Party, appeared before the Arewa Joint Committee. And it was more or less a beauty pageant where they were all supposed to appear before these, the, the gathering of these political uh, figures and discuss their plans and policies. So let me start with Phoenix. Phoenix, Bolatinubu, Peter Obi, and Atiku appeared before the Arua Joint Committee. In, in your view, who gave the most convincing or most persuasive, uh, who, or who made the most persuasive case to the committee in your view, Phoenix, and why? It's an interesting question, Michael. Thanks for asking it, because I think 
I mean, when when one thinks about this, I mean, and and I mean, uh, full disclosure, I am a Southerner. I am I am a Yoruba person, so I cannot um, presume to put myself in the shoes of the Northerners to whom they were speaking to and what they expect. But if 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 I if I let logic lead me, um, I mean, and and look to what the three and and hope that the the northerners um are also in this quest for a better nigeria one built on justice fairness and equity um as i as i want i mean 2023 to mean to us i think what what i would have been looking to hear is somebody who is interested in what is good for the North from a socio-political economic perspective, particularly from a security perspective, knowing that the North is, is um, the epicenter of most of the insecurity challenges that we have. And also, but also one who keeps in mind the fact that this entity Nigeria has to work for everyone. Um, and, for, and from a, so, so if I was, I mean, saying that as a Northern, that's what I'm looking for. The conversations that all three had led me to um, to look at Peter Obi as the one who spoke most to the issue of, you know, a a a. I mean, putting putting the North on the path to a recovery from the insecurity challenges putting the North on the path to economic prosperity and focusing on, on the conversations that will move the whole of Nigeria forward. We had, because when you listen to him, and he's been saying this for a long time, the North is, is, is where the, the future of Nigeria's economic prosperity predominantly lies. He, he talks about the, 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 the um, arable land in the North, he talks about you know how how that needs to be harnessed uh, to 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 move us away from the dependence on on oil. He talked about insecurity, decisiveness that needs to to be brought to bear to push that. Now, did the other candidates not speak to that? I think they all did to a great degree. I also, I mean, the next person I would look to is Atiku because I think also he spoke. Um, um, you know. He was able to articulate some of his plans um, that he believes would also be good um, from the kind of government that he wants to lead. Um, I, as I've always thought, uh, Tinubu comes uh, does very poorly when when stacked against the, the the other two, and I was not surprised with with um, some of the positions that he took. But I think the, the, the when I go back to the point I was making about you know, being a, a fair-minded and someone who's, who's focused on equity, Atiku did not surprise me in some of the positions that he took because I've always said that for he, the path he was going to need to take would be to harness the North and to, and to try and get some support from the South. And so he went there as a Northerner speaking to Northerners. We, we all know the... Um, now, infamous um, 
response that he gave when asked why should a northerner cons- consider him, where he spoke about um, a, a northerner should expect should should want another uh, northerner, uh, but one who has built bridges across the land. So making it clear that his standing as a northerner should be what yeah, the average northerner in, in in Nigeria should be interested in. Um, and then, of course, burnishing those credentials with the fact that, yes, I have built bridges, I've, I've done this and that. And then we also saw other things that he said around the you know, nation, so Yoruba nation and things like that. So clearly playing up to the fact that, look, I should be the obvious choice for you guys, given where I'm from. Now, what we're seeing is we want a Nigeria that is free from those kind of things going forward. We want a Nigeria that is equitable. We want a Nigeria that ensures that there's opportunities for everyone and that this campaign, particularly at this point in time, given where we are with the worst government in our history about to be ushered out with one of the worst disasters, environmental disasters in our history, striking us in the face with all the challenges that we have with insecurity, with with the economy and things like that. We want to put our best foot forward. It should be about competence. It should be about capability. And I think it is clear to everyone who's who's capable, um, who's the most capable amongst the three. Um, I mean, we also had Tinubu, of course, which is typical, you know, you know, trying to, you know, bravado and, you know, but not having coherent thoughts or, or being able to articulate his position very clearly. Uh, we saw the, com- the, the response he made on climate change. I won't even be bothered to go down that path. So for me, when I put all those pieces together and I see the strong showing that uh, Peter will be put up, particularly pushing back on uh, Nasir Rufai, who obviously tried to tell a lie, it, it, just, it was just a, a masterful display of someone who was ready, prepared, who wanted to show in, in the North where people don't believe that he has any chance that he can be presidential, that he, he is presenting himself not of any ethnic uh, uh, um, background, but presenting himself to truly help move this country forward, and particularly to bring uh, a different dimension to how uh, the country has been managed. So, I mean, long and short of the story for me, it further confirmed my view that he is the best, I mean, people will be the best of the three. And I hope that became even more apparent to people. Thank you, Phoenix. Um, obviously, I encourage the listeners to please go and look for the videos and the transcripts of the various presentations so you can reach your own conclusions. But to Elaborate, let me come to you first. Atiku made some comments that triggered a lot of uproar on social media and in the traditional media. Phoenix has alluded to them. The first is the fact that he said what the North needs is a Northern presidential candidate, not a Yoruba or Igbo one. Now, I know you clearly and many of your party members have tried to put a positive spin on what he said, but truly, Lebanon, can can what Atiku said be, be defended? 
you you are the first of all i i'm sorry for the framing of the question you've already framed the question in a particular way and so it already puts every answer that i'm coming i'm going to give you in a particular light i have a problem with the way the framing question was framed and i think that it reveals um i have quite a problem with the way the question was framed now to address this thing I, I believe that there was a disservice done. Disservice done to, not just to Atiku, but also to us as a generality of Nigerians, because- Wait, no, let me Let me finish, you asked me a question. No, no I'm gonna allow you answer, but I just want to read the quote so that Nigerians no. can hear for themselves. Can Atiku I- said, an average northerner does not need a Yoruba or Igbo president, but a Northern president who is a pan-Nigerian. That's what Atiku said. So I, this, this, this is not my quote. This is me quoting him. So how, how do you explain this? So please carry on. I'm going to, I'm going to, some of my comments are going to be controversial. And I'm actually prepared that this, some of the, some of the things I would say in response are going to be a little bit controversial. First things first, I believe that we did some sort of disservice, making this only the, a, a lot of the reportage has been about the, that, that portion of the comment. Atiku made statements about resolving Nigeria's, the Northern Nigeria's Almagiri problem with more, most of the 20 million out of school kids situated in, in out of Nigerian out of school kids with more than, you know, a vast percentage of that situated in Northern Nigeria and most of them being Almagiri, that was significant policy because that spoke to resolving breeding grounds for, re, um, for deploying or for recruiting terrorists. That speaks to security, it speaks to education, it speaks to wealth creation, it speaks to you know, job creation. That's significant. Article gave policy there that spoke to resolving the frequent source of, um, of killings and conflicts in Northern Nigeria when he said, we have to introduce modern farming techniques. Major policy. Where he says, no, this open grazing, where he says, I have a thousand heads of cattle, they never go anywhere. They are ranched. And he spoke to policy that, you know, we put an end to open grazing. Significant. He speaks to education, um, speaks to agriculture, speaks to job creation, speaks to security. Right? Article spoke there about devolution of powers, state policing. He spoke about local government financing and funding, all of which are significant policies that he has remained true to over the course of his political career. So if we ignore all of that and focus on that part of that comment, I think we do ourselves a disservice because all these are age-old solutions to Nigeria's age-old problems. And he's been the most consistent advocate and he's the one who's displaying the right sort of political will to bring them to bear. Now to come to the question, he was speaking to a Northern audience. He was speaking to a Northern audience and he responded 
to the northern audience. Now, do I reckon that maybe the there should have been better phrasing? Perhaps. Perhaps there should have been better phrasing. But remember, primarily, that he was speaking to a northern audience. Now, this is where my statements begin to become controversial. The entire campaign, articles, religion, and his origins have been used against him as a weapon. The entire campaign. There is a whole slew of people, including you, Gege, and um, I'm not sure about Phoenix. I, I'm not sure about reading now. But there's a whole slew of people who believe that on the basis of his origins alone, he shouldn't be contesting. Now, I wonder if it is available to him to use, if it is available to be used against him as a club, why can he not use it for himself as a shield? If we have one candidate in the Southwest who goes and says, Emilio Kong, Yoruba Lokon, why can't he speak to his own people and say, I'm one of you? If we have people, if we have another candidate who is speaking in churches and saying it is the time for the church to take it back, the church needs to take its country back. And in the projections, accounting that people will vote for him on account of, well, at least his supporters do, count that, okay, these areas will vote for him on account of the Christian population. If that is being done there, why can't he? It seems as though he's being held to higher standards than everybody else. And for me, that's fine. That now shows that the reckoning, the level of expectation from him is higher. One of the things that come out quickly, that came out quickly was Atiku is a tribal bigot, Atiku is a tribal bigot, Atiku is this, that, and the other. But history doesn't show that. If we go all the way back to the 1995 Constitutional Conference, history doesn't show that. He was an advocate there, not for state of origin, but for place of residence, where you have derived citizenship of a state based on, um, on account of how long you stay there. That was in 1995, at the 1995 Constitutional Conference. He, during his tenure as vice presidential candidate, spoke very harshly against the institution of Sharia, coined the phrase that this was political Sharia and had no place in Nigeria. In fact, in 2002, he suffered a stoning. He was, his convoy was pelted with stones in Kano because he was viewed as being anti-Sharia. So if we're going to jump to the conclusion of tribal bigotry or ethnic supremacist, we should look at it vis-a-vis -vis his history. There is nothing there that supports it. There is nothing there that supports such a conclusion. We must say this, and this is where me am at. If we are saying to all the candidates, you simply cannot appeal to any sort of democracy, demography, just speak to your competence. Let us do so. Let us not turn a blind eye while some people are able to do it and some people are able to appeal to these sentiments and then hold somebody and say, no, don't do it. Let's not turn yeah. that blind eye. Let us not look at the advocates, the third party surrogates, the supporters of one candidate or the other 
and saying, okay, well, uh, you, you're doing it, but this particular candidate cannot. If we're going to speak to competence, to capacity, to character, which shows him, and this is, I'm, I'm sorry, I don't agree that Peter Obi is the most competent of the lot. I, that if we study our historical trajectory from 1999, viewing things such as GDP growth, economic indices, viewing the growth of whole sectors of our economy, job creation, and all that, we will find out that the person who has played at that level and ensured that the benefits trickle down to everybody in the country, the most, the best, inescapably, is Alaji Atikwa Baka. We simply cannot. And I'll pick up from where. Thank you. I'll finalize. I'll finalize by saying what, by picking up with where Phoenix stopped. Where we are now, coming off the worst government in our national history, coming off a disaster such as this um, natural, this flooding, mirrors where we were in 1999, when we gave our country, when we took our country from the military and heralded PDP into power with our votes, right? We saw the economic growth that followed. We saw it, the numbers don't lie. We saw the economic growth that followed. We saw whole sectors. We saw um, job creation. We saw all of that. If we're in the same situation, and one of the two people who held, who um, superintended us into that period of growth is contesting for office, by all means, we should count that as, as experience, and we should go back and give the country back to the man, that man to lead us again. It, it, for me, it's a no-brainer. Thank, Thank you, you Lebanon. I have to come to Dr. Aminu. Before, 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 before we go to Dr. Aminu, I need to address a few things. Because, yeah. I mean, Dr. Aminu is, is also a PDP member. If he addresses, so. I'll, have, I'll, I'll still have the right no, to no, reply. No, 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 no. We'll go to Dr. Aminu. I'll still have the right to reply. So let's, not, let's not turn this into a back and forth. You can't call out some things and expect that we'll just keep quiet and let's see. No, but if you call out, no, I have a responsibility to count out. No, no, We will come back to you later. Let's allow Phoenix to go to Dr. Amino and then we'll come back to you. A few quick things. I'm happy that, I mean, this tact that he's, I mean, this, what he's, I mean, the part that Elemona is willing to take, to take, to ensure that Atiku takes ownership for this position because that's what I've always expected. Like I said earlier, his path to victory is to win overwhelmingly in the North. So I expected him to play this game of, I'm from the North, you people should vote for me. But I mean, people kept trying to make as though he's a unifier, blah, blah, blah. He's not going to go into that. So it's good that, I mean, that this is the new turn of the campaign and they're willing to own the fact that he will play up the, the ethnic sentiments in the North. And so don't, don't come and tell me that, I mean, other people are doing it and so, so he's being held to account or held to a higher standard. Hell no, that's not happening. Number one, we know that, yes, Tinubu has from the day one played that card. But there's no way you're going to come and say that um, and, and try and twist a video. I mean, this, this I mean, sorry, Ilemola, you and I, I mean, we always banter, but I mean, please don't do that. Don't take a video out of context that everybody knows that has been oh, so there's context into for that a seven seconds context for PDP. It's a seven seconds part, and then try and sell that that to, um, that Peter Obi went into a church and said, "Church, take over your nation." That is not true. Now, why are we doing this? 
Nobody took Atiku uh, um, um, out of context now. We listened to the whole thing that he said. People went back and listened and listened to understand what he was saying. So let him own what he's playing. Peter Obi has gone around this country, spoken home and abroad consistently. Do not vote for me because I am from this part of the country. Do not vote for me because I am of this religion. And then you turn around and say he went into church and said, church, he's playing up uh, religious sentiments. That's not true. So let's stick to the facts. Your guy is owning the fact that he is a northerner and asking northerners to vote for him. End of, that's, that's okay. If, he's, that's, if that's what he needs to do to win, let him do it and own it. End I, of story. I disagree. Now, going I back disagree. to the second that's point. That's not what I said. The second that's point not I, I will address. Wait, 11, please is, allow the second point I will address is on his economic credentials. Atiku has not held any executive position where he is the single decision maker for us to even judge those economic credentials that are being ascribed to him. If we look at the, 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 the delivery of the Obasanjo regime, for anybody to try to ascribe the outcomes of that regime to Atiku, to then burnish his credentials to say, oh, he was one of the two, please stop it. We know, the key, we know that the key economic appointments and decision-making in that eight-year span were driven by Olusegun Obasanjo, and the key people that he put in place did not report into Atiku. They had nothing to do with what he was doing. Atiku's primary imprint, and I've said this several times, was on the private was on the privatization agenda of this country. But to say that the, that things like 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 the needs agenda, like the 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 the, the reform of, of the banking sector, like the debt re, uh, repayment program, which were the Critical things that turn the economy of the country around have anything to do with Atiku, it is false. So he has to prove to us those economic credentials. And at, and at various points where he has been queried on his economic thinking, he has not shown that capab capability or competence to, of deep thinking around economic outcomes. Forget all the platitudes and all the funny things that, he's, that he talks about. I keep saying that yes, of course, he's, he, I mean, he shows he's more articulate and more clear, clear able to clearly uh, you know, express himself than, than Tinubu, but to then you know, make him out to be this guru is totally false. So please, let's stick to the fact, we were all here and we all saw the trajectory of the nation from 1999 to date. Let's, let's stick to the facts. Two things I wanted to address, and let's go to Dr. Amino, and we can carry on. Thank you, Phoenix. Let me go to Dr. Amino. Dr. Amino, I need to clarify this issue because Elebona, obviously a member of your party, seems to disagree. Now, the, the first thing is, he said that people have raised that it was religion and his ethnicity. But is it not correct that the reason why these issues have come up is first of all with regards to the murder of deborah atiku initially condemned the tweet and then when extremists put pressure on him he deleted that tweet the second issue is the fact that atiku himself campaigned in 2015 on the basis that it was the turn of the south to produce the president and people are now saying to him that it is now the turn of the south because the north has done uh, the Fulani, a Fulani man from the north has done eight years in, in the person of Buhari, so it's the turn of the south. So 
are those not the reasons why people are reminding him that, look, first of all, you are from the North, so you cannot contest. And secondly, because of what you did concerning the murder of Deborah, are, are those not relevant issues to raise with Atiku, Dr. Aminu? Uh, thank you, Mike. Um, for, uh, two things, um, and I'll remember, I'll talk about those things, um, and I'll come back and talk about Atiku's uh, uh, position as the vice president. So when we talk about Deborah's issue, um, let's be honest, and um, we have to be very clear and objective in this situation. When Atiku posted that tweet, it was done in anger. Why am I saying done in anger? Because he felt a life was taken. But we should not blame Atiku for an extrajudicial killing. We have a government that we should blame. You know, we have this current government that we should blame, but we keep putting it back to bl blaming Atiku. Peter Obi um, uh, and other candidates, or there were aspirants then, um, uh, Bola Ametinibu up until now has not tweeted about it. When Atiku tweeted, made that tweet, people decided to start talking about, you know, he is denying his religion. Atiku, first of all, is a Muslim. Nobody, you, nobody would like to see, you know, being a, a person that is creating something that is, uh, uh, that is causing the insult of his own religion. What people were talking about there was Atiku is also denying Islam. It was not about extrajudicial killing that has happened. No, it's not about that extrajudicial killing. They were trying to turn it into Atiku is denouncing Islam. I, I, if I was the one, I would delete it. And I went back and I did my investigation about it. And this is exactly what was happening. Atiku is, first of all, he will throw away this politics because he's more, uh, he's first of all, a Muslim before a politician. L let's be clear, whoever it is, you know, um, uh, will not be, uh, he was angry, quite angry of this extrajudicial killing. If he becomes the president, he's not going to let this thing go. Nobody is going to let this thing go, but this government has let it go. And we are letting this government get away with this murder and blaming it on Atiku that has deleted a tweet. Nobody is talking about, let's call for these people that has killed this girl. And what are they doing? No, we are blaming it on Atiku that deleted a tweet. I think we're no. doing a huge disservice to Deborah. And, and to the second question then, Dr. Amino. Thank so. you. Now, the, the second question, um, uh, first of all, that is not illegal. It is not illegal, and um, if the, if it was illegal, we would have gone to court. If it was illegal, you know, um, uh, the Supreme Court let's not even say um, um, there is a southeastern um, contestant that took it to court. I wrote about it, uh, so I remember he took it to court, and Supreme Court said it is the um, uh, business of the party, and the party found it uh, okay. And in fact, Wiki even okayed it you know, when he, they said, let's leave it open. So I think we should not be talking about ethnicity or um, region here because this is done legally to, um, for everybody to contest. If it was illegal, then we will be contesting in the court of law, but it is not illegal, it's wide open and everybody can contest. So I do not think um, we should uh, be talking about one Fulani man has. And besides, Atiku is not even Fulani, Atiku is from Jada. You know, so um, but we, we try to trivialize this issue and say um, Atiku is from uh, is from the north, so he should not contest. So I don't think um, it's illegal. And he contested. I mean, he said um, in twenty. I don't remember. 
Atiku has been advocating, you know, um, to become the president since 2007. And even in 2011, when Goodluck Jonathan was supposed to contest, he said, it's the turn of the north. And they, um, uh, they kicked him out of it. He went and contested in another party. In 2015, he said, it's the turn of the north, you know? They kicked him out. And they, so if we are talking about lack of fairness, you know, it has been uh, happening a long time ago. You know, it's not just happening today. So um, I think um, uh, the answer here is that he is doing everything within his legal rights. So let me keep quiet for now. I don't know. Um, okay, lastly, um, when he was uh, the, um, someone talked about he was, um, I think um, uh, it was, um, uh, I, I don't remember if it was Illumina or, or Phoenix that was saying he was um, acted in the pri privatization. Let's remember what Atiku did when, uh, when he sold GSM licenses. Go back and see the year that we sold GSM licenses and how the uh, Nigeria's GDP shot up. So um, that is uh, just one of his contributions. So let me keep quiet. Please, I, Thank I want you, to Dr. Aminu. No, I, got, I was going to come time. to you. I was going to come to you with a question, Ilemona. Then after that, I'll come to Phoenix. So I actually have a question for you. As a follow-up, Dr. Aminu has said uh, Atiku is entitled to breach the zoning principle because there's no law that he's broken. He also said it's Atiku's religion. So Atiku's religion, because of his religious beliefs, he was entitled to delete the, the killing, the tweet about the killing of Deborah. That's for the listeners to reach their own conclusion. No, no, my, no, my... no, no, uh, yeah, yeah, that is not what I said. People were trying, were castigate, were using it to castigate his religion. His, okay, his, and that's why he yeah. deleted the tweet. So, yes, yeah. so to my, my point is, it, it's for the listeners to reach their own conclusions. The question to you, Lemona, is there's a follow-up video of Atiku also saying that the North Belize is, is the only region in Nigeria committed to the unity of the country. He says the, there's the Igbo nation who are, who are not doing that. There's the Yoruba nation who are not doing that. They are mo mono-ethnic, unlike the North that is multi-ethnic. A number of people have condemned Atiku for saying that and the question is, what is your response? Do you think Atiku was right to say that? Um, first things first. That's not what Atiku said. He did say Nigeria, Northern Nigeria, multi-ethnic, one. He did say the Southeast is um, homogeneous and that the Southwest is homogeneous. But did he say they are not committed to Nigeria? No. He said, on account of northern, on account of the multicultural multi nature of, or multi-ethnic nature of the North, we're more committed here. But we're more committed doesn't mean you are not committed. No. It's like saying, I could be 97 and you could be 95. But 97 is more now. In his opinion, that is his opinion. He did not say that none of the other two regions are not committed to Nigeria. That's not what he said. He said, I believe that we here are more committed to Nigeria. So to if clarify- take so... That, If people take that, and if you go back and watch the video, you will not see where he said the Southeast or the Southwest are not committed to Nigeria. You will not okay. see it. Sorry, let me rephrase the question. He did not say so. He said 
we Northerners are more committed to the unity of the country than the other regions? So that's the first question. Is that true? That the North is more committed than other parts of Nigeria? Secondly, our is, it, is it true our that the North, is it true that the Southwest and Southeast are not are, are mono-ethnic? And thirdly, is that what someone who calls himself the unifier, is that is that the opinion? You see, you, 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 see, you, see, you, see you see this thing here, and this is where I wanted to start with while, while Phoenix were talk, was talking. This thing that you, you know, the framing, it was where I started, the way you're framing the questions. You're already reaching conclusions. Your conclusions no, I'm, not, I'm asking. No, no, I'm no, 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 no. I'm not Let framing anything. Now. Let me I'm finish. asking you No, so when you start and you start out saying, oh, is that how somebody who, I, I'm a lawyer now, we were trained to ask questions, to lead people to a direction we want them to go. I've been, I know this thing. The way you're framing the questions already gives out a significant amount of no, but it, it, It's either a it yes finish. or okay, no. It's fine. It's fine. It's okay. fine. Now, when you say unifier, what does he, does the, unif the ability to be unifier indicate a lack of difference or does it indicate that people will not disagree? Or does it just indicate that even in spite of our differences, I will be able to build the bridges that ensure that there's a consensus that carries you along and carries me along. Nobody argues that of the three, Atiku has those bridges. Nobody argues that. The unification, actually, I am a unifier, shows that there's a difference in, there's a gulf, either ethnically, opinion-wise, whatever. I mean, unifier shows that there's a difference in starting points. You're over there, I'm over here, he's over there, and whatever. My ability to bring you close, build that bridge. My ability to create a pathway to you, build that bridge. That is what separates him from the other two. Nobody can argue that when it comes to building or possessing a cross-country network of people, that he's going to be able to pull to the table to have conversations and find consensus Nobody contests that Atiku stands heads above the other two. It's not even an argument. So I, no, I don't understand. My point being, my point being, we agree that there are differences in starting places. We agree that Nigeria has never been this divided before. And it was divided on account of a party in power that failed. Somebody is saying, I take into consideration, and I understand the fact that there are differences in where we are right now. And I have the ability, and I've built a network over time that will bring us back to a table to get what we all want from the country, Nigeria. But I, nobody's, con 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 nobody's able to condemn that. Now, with respect to Deborah, like, now, um, Dr. Mino just said, we're holding Atiku responsible for a deleted tweet. Nobody's talking about the government that failed, the government that failed to find her killers or that is failing to find her killers. Nobody's talking about that. Nobody is talking about, let's be honest, none of your own police, no, no other political aspirant even had a tweet out in the first place. Nobody did. Peter Obi definitely did not. Ashwaju did not. Nobody did. Why are we holding Atiku responsible and we're not speaking about the other two? If a failure to speak out exists on the part of Alaji Atiku Abubakar, it exists on account of the other two. Why do we not ask them that question? Why have we made it? And this is where people must realize Deborah 
poor unfortunate victim of an extrajudicial murder has been turned into a weapon. And we're using that weapon to beat one person. Where are the other two? What are their opinions on this? Why did they not speak out? Why did Peter Obi not speak out? Why are we not holding him responsible for not speaking out? Why did Ashwa Jubala so, Sorry not to interrupt speak you. Sorry Why to interrupt are we not you holding him for not speaking out? And sorry I will end on this final note. I will end on this note. I will end on this note. It is anybody who says that in his constitutional capacity as chairman of the National Economic Council, Atiku had no role to play in Nigeria's economic fortunes between 1999 and 2007. It's not telling us the truth. The role as chairman of the National Economic Council is in our constitution. It is a constitutional role. He superintended, they put together whatever economic plan that government had. Yes, Obasanjo signed off on some, Obasanjo did not sign off on others. But to say that the person who chaired that council cannot come back and say, hold on, whatever benefits that this council accrued to this nation, I, as a person, am part of the people responsible for that. I'm sorry, you're not telling us the truth. You're not telling us the truth. If you say Atiku Abubakar had no role to play in our economic council, which is funny, because when it is time to count the negatives of the Obasanjo regime or of the Obasanjo administration, we will suddenly remember that Atiku was number two man. But when it's time to, come, to count the benefits, we'll say no, he can, the benefits cannot accrue to him. The records cannot accrue to him. Benefits cannot. And this thing that we continue saying about, oh, there was a northerner. There are three regions in this country. There are three regions that have never produced a presidential, a president on the platform of PDP. They are the Northwest, they are the Northeast, uh, no, sorry, they are the Northeast, the Southeast, and the North Central. There are two regions that have never produced a presidential candidate on the platform of the party. They are the Southeast and the North Central. There is only one region that has, in our national history, never produced a democratically elected vice president or president. That is the North Central. If we take into consideration these things that I have said to you, anybody wants to speak about equity, justice, and fairness in its strictest, most puritanical sense, we we'll only say that only people from the North Central should be contesting for president right now. However, Thank if we're not so speaking about it in its most puritanical sense, we must now agree that there are three regions that have never produced president. The presidential candidate of the PDP is from one of those three regions. Is no, it not thank you. that the Northeast that has never produced a president should produce a president on the platform of the party? Is that not equity? Is that not justice? Thank you, Lemon. Oh, can, can I? I think I'm, I'm, learning, I'm learning something new today that uh, those those are now regions. I thought they were called geopolitical zones, and not. And we only have two regions. Okay. I need let to come to you, Phoenix. Let me know what question. Yes, I need to phrase the. <laughs> Let's call them geopolitical zones. There are three geopolitical zones. Okay. <laughs> Order, order, please. <laughs> okay, so to Felix, the final question on this uh, issue. So you saw what Peter Obi said, where he said the North is more committed to the unity of Nigeria than the the other regions in the country, and he said Peter Obi or Atiku. 
Atiku said that, and you, you heard Elemona's response. So in, in your view, I asked Elemona the question, but he said it was a, it was a loaded leading question, being, being a, a barrister himself. But the question is, is was Atiku's statement what you'd expect of a presidential candidate who portrays himself as a unifier? Was it a unifying statement in your view? And secondly, do you agree with him that um, despite the fact that Atiku in the past had campaigned for a rotational presidency between North and South, that equity now demands that it should be the Northeast that produces the president? Do you, do you, do you agree with these points made by Lemona? I think just to keep it short, I'll say I disagree with both. Number one, I don't see how anybody wears a unifier tag and then goes to one part of the country to tell them that they are the only ones that care about the unity of the country. I, the thing that shocks me is we have a a a seventy something year old man in his who is in his full faculties saying something, and yet we're being told that no, that's not what he meant. I, I don't understand why we have candidates that need interpreters and interlocutors for for us to understand what they are trying to tell us. He clearly said, "We in the north think more about the unity of Nigeria than other regions." What else is there to infer about that? And how does that make you a unifier? If you are a unifier, you do not go to, you do not elevate one region versus other regions. You do not speak about one set of people versus other set of people. You put people, everybody on the same level playing field. That is what a unifier does. A unifier tries to find common ground, not to find areas to divide people, which is what he was doing. And we will speak to that. And there is no, we do not want a presidential candidate in this day and age coming after the most divisive eight years of our country. And we've had some really shitty people rule this country. But coming after the most divisive president that we've had to have somebody not even wait till when he has become president to begin to tell one region that they care more about the unity of the country than another region and then to make us think that you are a unifier i'm sorry are we i mean it just shocks me that anybody would try to sell that and then to try to burnish his his credentials by telling us he's he's the only one who stands ahead and shoulder by building what what bridges has he built and why haven't the others built bridges i i don't understand how do you say that a Tinubu has not built bridges? Somebody who put together the coalition that brought a Buhari who had lost all hope to power. To power. You're going to say Tinubu has not built bridges across the country. Atiku, who needed a Tinubu to run for office in 2007, suddenly has more bridges built than, than Tinubu. I find myself even trying to defend Tinubu. Or even a, a, a Peter Obi does not have bridges across the country across the country he doesn't know people in the southwest that he can bring to the table after all his director general is a Yoruba man he wasn't able to get a prominent northerner to be his running mate he hasn't done business across the length and breadth of the country being a trader i, I don't understand all this all these credentials that he tried to elevate which do not hold water we speak about somebody's economic credentials. We're being told that he chaired the National Economic Council. Yes, it's in the constitution, but we also know very clearly what were the levers that delivered economic outcomes for Nigeria. And we know how involved Olusegun Bambasajo was in running the, in, in plotting 
the economic direction of, of Nigeria. Nobody is saying, and I keep repeating, Atiku was a, a, a part of that government, but the extent to which you try to ascribe to him the outcomes of that government is, is fallacy, complete fallacy, because his imprints are not in the key signature moments of that government. The things that on, the unleash growth for Nigeria, first, primarily, talk about the debt recovery, the debt repayment that we, ha that we had. Where was his imprint? I dare anyone to show me his imprint on any of those things. Talk about all of the economic reforms that changed our trajectory. Come and show us what were his imprints, what he did, what he said, what, what things that he made, he made happen. Oh, I was chairman of the National... So, how many chairmen of National Economic Councils have we had? Should we also go and call, reel out every single vice president that has been chairman of National Economic Council and then tell us that they give... I mean, I think, I think we, I mean, there is, everyone is entitled to try to place his candidate on the pedestal, but also expect that people will query and will examine and will, you know, bring out their magnifying glass to look at what that candidate is seeking to offer and will call to question where things need to be called to question. Atiku failed in his bid in, in this last weekend in going to speak to the Arewa Joint Committee, he might have felt that he was playing up again. I say his path to victory is to win overwhelmingly in the North, and he took that path and decided to, to go down that road. Own it. But don't then come back to us and say, I am a unifier, when you clearly sought to play up a part of the country against other parts of the country. Own the path that you've chosen. That's all. There's no issue about that. And if it takes you to also rock, fair game. But if it doesn't, I, I struggle. Sorry, you are failed. And that is your problem. I struggle. I struggle. Uh, so, sorry, Lebanon. Can, can we allow Phoenix? Can we allow Phoenix finish, please? I and struggle. Then, and then I'm going to start his own. On the one hand, he's saying that. Say whatever he wants to say. I'm done. Yes. There's no, there's no I, point belaboring these points now. There's no point. No, there you is. Cannot, there you is. Cannot you cannot go back on the resource on something we clearly heard. You cannot. Oh, I will say it. I will still say it. Yes. Oh, I hold um, Phoenix. You said I mean, I hand was on, up. But I will still say this thing. I will still I mean, say this hand was up first. So let's Can let I say Ani this thing, please? Can no, I, because Amidu's mean, okay. I mean, hand was up, so we have to allow you to speak first. Amidu, you have one. You have one minute to speak, and I'll interrupt once it's one minute. So please go, Amidu. One minute. Okay. Oh my God, one minute is too short, but no problem. Um, uh, I just want to come in to um talk about the uh, Arewa Joint Committee, but let's be clear: every region is going to be is going to invite this group of uh, candidates, and every region, believe me, they will be polarized. And what happened in the Arewa Joint Committee? will be replicated. It has happened before and it will happen again. And let's be clear, you know, even if we try to blame it on Atiku, Atiku did not start it. He saw Bola Ahmed Tunibu started with speaking Yoruba to his Yoruba people. He saw um, uh, um, Peter Obi, you know, uh, speaking in churches and can endorsing him and doing everything. So he too, he felt, um, and I'm happy his advisors advised him going to the gutter like them. He went into the gutter, but this is a polarization strategy that is happening all across the world. You know, go and see how Trump or Boris Johnson or other people do, you know, when they are meeting with their own group of people, you know, they tell them even, I mean, uh, 
what do you call um, this guy? Um, this American president in the 1980s, him and uh, the American Reagan, he does it. You know, these things happen. So we, I don't think it's something that is new in politics that we should be uh, worried about. He replicated, is it going to pay off? Uh, pay off? Uh, we don't know, let's see 2023. So I yield the mic, thank you for letting me speak now. Thank you, Dr. Aminu. So finally to 11, I'll give you one minute because we I'm need sorry, to... but you can't, Phoenix says, I can't take a portion of a video or a portion of an appearance at the, I can't take a portion of an appearance in a church and say, oh, this, and twist it out of context. But the statement that you're taking and you're relying on is also a portion of an appearance that was at the Iowa, um, Iowa Joint Committee. It's the same thing that we're doing. What no, is not the portions of not appearance. It's the same thing. You can't take it seven seconds. It's the same thing. Order. That thing, order. hold on. I can, not only I that, go, remember, not and I, I have no problem. I have no problem with it. I believe that we should, I believe that there needs to be more organization to political participation from churches. No, I have absolutely no problem with it. If the church, and the church in Nigeria is under persecution, we have on a daily basis, Catholic priests being kidnapped and killed. We have church locations across the country being attacked. We have um, congregants being massacred and it has gone on for years. So I agree that the church needs to look for the candidates that it believes will protect it. I believe it. I believe that the church has a role to play, as much as I believe that organized Islam must play a role in downplaying organized terrorism in our country. I believe it. Take a leading role, organize yourself, and find the candidate that you believe that best delivers and rally behind that candidate. I believe it. However, own it. He spoke in that church and he said, our people, it is your people that are being kidnapped and killed. He said it in a church. He said it in that same appreciation in that same statement he said it where he said we need the church needs to take back its country to the statement it's not my words there's a video clip and all i'm saying and this is not me telling you that this is the article strategy this is me telling you that if you were okay with that you cannot you cannot honestly Tell me that you find the fault in article. You simply can't. If we're going to do the ruffle ruffle, it should be available to everybody. And this is not me saying that that was what article did. I believe the article said, oh, I'm, I'm at home. I'm at home. I grew up here. I have a house here. And I have connections across the country. That's all he said, simply. And he said it in very clear terms. I'm a pan-Nigerian. I build bridges across the country. Anybody who comes and tell me, oh, I am sorry to sorry to cut you off, because of time. Our, our time is up. But I think thank you for your contributions. Thank you, Dr. Aminu, and thank you, Phoenix. It's been a very interesting and passionate debate, and I'm sure the listeners will reach their own conclusions. They've heard the various perspectives. But until the same time ne next week, I say Thank you again to our listeners for being loyal and giving us helpful feedback. And I say have a fantastic seven days. Thanks. Thanks, Michael. Um, thanks, Elimona. And thanks, Minu, um, for joining us this week. Thank you, listeners. I have, well, it's middle of the week because of Michael and his uh, uh, 
Turkey Johns, but have to have a great rest. <laughs> have a great rest of the week. Bye, everyone. <laughs> but but, but you, you know, um, just to um, 